0: Hi, my name is Jerry, and I'm a very grateful real Al-Anon. And I say real Al-Anon because uh, I believe that an Al-Anon is not a person that has a family member or a relative that's an alcoholic. I believe a a real Al-Anon trusts God, cleans house, and works with others. And I try to do that one day at a time. This always makes me really nervous up here at first. My voice kind of cracks, and I wish I wasn't here, but I'm very glad to be here. I want to thank the committee for asking me to come down. Um, it's always good to go back and look where were you, where, what happened, you know, what it's like, or, and what it's like now. Can't even talk. So it's always great to be asked. We really appreciated the, fruit of, the basket of fruit in our room. It makes you feel real warm. It was a beautiful basket. Somebody put a lot of work in on those. So thank you very much. A special thanks to Deb and Jeff, too. You know, um, it's neat how God puts those kind of special people in your life. And he really does. It's really great. <clears throat> I'll start out with just a little bit of background about myself. Um, I was raised in a real hardworking family. And uh, I realize now after a program that was a dysfunctional family. And I also believe that all people are dysfunctional, so I believe that all families are dysfunctional one direction or another. But uh, my, my father was uh, a rancher and a farmer and a livestock man, and uh, he was a heavy drinker. And uh, mother needed al She was a manipulator and, and a uh, martyr. And, of course, I didn't know that at that time. And, and childhood was okay. I look back on it now, and there's lots of things in my childhood where I had emotional abuse. I had some physical abuse but I thought mom and dad were just okay you know mom and dad were God and I didn't know any better we did not have a God Um, we I had very little um, Sunday school training I went a few times I guess with friends or relatives and I don't ever remember going as a family to church or having anything like that there were Bibles in our home but I was never taught what was in them or what they were for so really didn't have any background along those lines uh, my dad taught me about all I knew about God, and, and he often spoke of, of God and that he did pray to God, but he didn't always demonstrate that. He often said, God, but there was a dam connected to it someplace, you know, as uh, he was a tough little Scotchman. But even back then, even as a little kid, you know, I didn't ever quite fit in. I wasn't quite okay. And I had polio when I was five years old, and so I've, I've had a crippled leg since then, and... and uh, you know, that fit right in with my concept of me. You know, I could never wear pretty shoes, and, and uh, I was never like the other kids. And it fit right in with that concept that Jerry wasn't okay. That Jerry wasn't okay. I have to tell you a joke about myself. I went up to the room, changed clothes and uh, to get ready for supper, and I got a pair of dress pants that matched this jacket, and I got up there, and those things are not in the suitcase. So I'm still in my Levi's. (laughs) It's the only pair of pants I got with me. I had to laugh. You know, before program, that would have really blown me. And all I said, I think, was, well, I'll be damned. (laughs) I shook my Levi's out and put them back on. So uh, it's fabulous what this program does for us. You know, as as you go on into into my teen years, um, still not fitting in, but still being very busy, we... Moved from a little town of Evans out to a ranch in the dry land out in the Cornish area. And I was very involved in, in 4-H and uh, horse showing. And I trained horses. I trained all my dad's horses. I trained horses for other people. I did ranch work. Um, it was a good way to live. It was a good life. But there was still that hole in Jerry. I never did quite fit. I never did quite fit. I didn't quite fit in school. You know? I, didn't, it was, I was never quite Okay and I didn't know who I thought you all were. You know, I've learned after I came at this program, I, early on in the program, people stand up here and say they didn't quite fit, and I was really surprised. I thought I was the only one that didn't fit, you know. I was, I was nothing conceited about me or anything, or unique, was there? Uh, Larry kind of shared with you that uh, we met, and it was kind of a, as he said, a, a whirlwind courtship, and it was great, and we got married and, and bought a home and, and kids, and... You know, everything was supposed to be beautiful, wasn't it? And uh, Larry became God. Larry became God right off the top. And uh, so I just, I just shifted God's because I didn't have a God. Larry drank some at that time, but that was normal because I came out of a family that drank. My father drank, and, and as I told you earlier, but he, um, he lived to be 95, and he would still have a shot glass of whiskey and some 7-Up and go right on with his day. And what I've learned in here that that's not an alcoholic he abused alcohol and he was a mean little Scotchman when he drank but he wasn't an alcoholic Uh, Larry's family of course was drinking there and so it was normal for Larry to drink it was socially acceptable if you will so I didn't think anything about it and there was even times when our kiddos were little you know and back then we mixed formula you know and you'd have umpteen bottles of formula in the refrigerator and I'd fuss at him because he'd, he had some beer left in there. Get the beer out of there, drink it, do something with it. I don't have room for formula. And uh, little did I know that our disease was starting to pro- progress right then. And I still had this God-shaped hole in me that I didn't know what it was all about. As our disease began to progress and, and Larry's uh, di- his alcoholism progressed, you know, I was raised with a lot of pride, a lot of pride. My, man, my father was a very prideful man. And, boy, we didn't air our dirty linen. And if you had problems at home, you brought it home. You know, you didn't tell anybody. And uh, so I had a lot of shoulds. You know, what I should do as Larry started drinking, as the drinking got worse, you know, I needed desperately to help Larry. And, of course, when I got into this program, you told me that was control. And I didn't like that. I didn't want to hear it. You know, I was not a controller. I was just going to help him and i learned later that that is a nice word for control that's what helps all about i needed desperately at that time to uh, to protect larry okay very, very big time i've heard people say that they were ashamed they didn't want people to know they were married to an alcoholic but i seemed to come from another angle you know it was it was desperately important that that i protect him i didn't want you to know that he drank i didn't want him to ever make a scene or You'd think less of him or look down at him. So I did a lot of lying. The kids lied. We were in, uh, I say in 4 H, I was a horse judging captain and, and involved with the fair, and we were really involved with people. And then we'd go home and we'd shut our doors and we'd draw our drapes because we were living with an alcoholic. And the kids would say, People say, Well, where's your dad? Oh, he's sick. And then a few, it took a while I'd catch on, you know, a little bit later why then Larry would be with us. And, and somebody said, well, Larry, how are you? And he said, oh, I'm fine. And other, people would kind of frown, you know, because we'd been saying for days and days he was sick. Well, he was, but we didn't realize how sick he was. We really didn't. I went through a real period there when he, when he first started to drink of, of really, as I say, the real insanity, you know. And I, and I blamed these folks. Um, I was sharing at supper tonight, you know, boy, his dad and I were a lot alike, and we locked horns, we clashed, and I knew it was that old sucker's fault. If he'd have raised Larry better, this wouldn't have happened, you know. And I blamed myself. And, of course, as he shared, I blamed the job. It was those terrible people that he worked with and that he worked for. And I believed every bit of that. First time I tried Al-Anon was... um, In about 1975, and I went down to this little Al-Anon meeting that's near our home, and it just took everything I had to walk into that place. And I don't know what I expected to see, but here were these neat people, well-dressed, well groomed, visiting, you know, and thought, my gosh, I'm in the wrong place, you know. And I kind of got back against the wall and sat down. It was all I could do to stay there. And some guy walked up and said, are you an alcoholic? And I said, no. (laughs) No, that's the last thing I wanted to be. Oh, he said, you want the Al-Anon room. So he directed me to the Al-Anon room. And, you know, I went in there, and there was one old-timer, and there was two little girls that were about as new as I was, and they had black eyes, and they'd been bailing husbands out of jail, and the one had been uh, so beaten that she was bruised all over, and and they had no money, and they had no food for their babies. And I sat there and listened to that, you know, and, and I, of course, did not identify with that. I compared, and I didn't have a problem. You know, I left there and I went home and I thought, maybe we really don't have alcoholism in our home. If I just control a little bit more, if I just help a little bit more, because it wasn't that bad, see. I had uh, two vehicles and our home was paid for. And uh, we had six head of horses and we had a horse trailer and, you know, uh, the whole works, the, the picket fence or the board fence and the <laughs> partridge and the pear tree, and I, I knew that I wasn't that bad. I even told my sister-in-law after that meeting, I said, that Al-Anon is for people with real problems, you know. (laughs) And I knew I wasn't one of those then. I didn't have a problem. But there was still that unrest. There was still that not being able to do anything about it. And in the throes of our disease, I can remember coming to, if you will, sitting at the kitchen table in my house coat, looking up at the clock, and it was about 3.30. The kids would soon be home from school, and Larry would soon be home from work. And there were no dishes done, there were no beds made, there was no supper planned. And I had sat there and cried in my tea, if you will, all day long. And I did that more than once, and I did that more than once. And I've I've driven places and parked my car and, and couldn't find it when I came out, and the slightest idea where I had it parked. You know, I was so obsessed. He was obsessed with alcohol, and I was obsessed with him. Well, a year passed, of course, and and as you know, the disease of alcoholism only gets worse. It never gets better. And it kept getting worse, and of course, I kept getting worse. And Larry had mentioned to you that his niece passed away. And I'll tell you my side of that story. We started, I offered our home for the dinner and of course a lot of performance anxiety all these people were coming to my home so every blade of grass had to be mowed every dust off of everything you know and I was just going crazy trying to have a day or two I think or day maybe to get ready and uh, Larry just got drunker on the Lord you know <laughs> and I remember giving him this lecture I gave him both barrels you know hey look it's your niece it's your family that's coming I gave him heck you know and bless his heart, he did shape up, and, and I think he kind of white-knuckled it the next day. He was pretty sweaty, but he was there, you know, and uh, I just thought I was really handling those things. And there was lots of people there. And I had seen Larry's cousin and her husband and, and family in and Sterling, and we had been with them. And I saw such a peace, and I saw such a fellowship, and a love, you know, and it was just, just mind-boggling to sit back because I knew he was a, bad, a really bad alcoholic. and and yet they had something that just glowed you know and this is this is a program of attraction and they really attracted me so when she came to that funeral I knew that I had to talk to her so in a very busy kitchen with lots of people I mustered up the energy to say or the nerve to say we have a drinking problem and she didn't hear me and she looked right at me and said what oh my gosh I thought I was gonna die on the spot you know I can't say it twice and I said it again, and God love her, she's a real Al-Anon, too. And she jumped right on it, and, and she gave me the first hope that I'd ever had. She told me about AA and about Al-Anon. And there was help for me whether Larry chose to get help or not. And she got us phone number, and she talked to me, and, uh, boy, I just felt like the world had been lifted off of my back. Somebody else knew. So I never told these folks. I can remember one time his mom and dad had come over, and Larry was... Of course, passed out drunk in bed, you know, and the bedroom smelled like an old brewery, you know. And, uh, but I told him he was sick. And his mother had to, of course, step into the bedroom as she left to see her little boy. And uh, Boy, I was just dying. I didn't want her to know how drunk he was. So no one knew. No one knew. I, I kept it in and I held it. And anyway, as Larry had said, we did talk with Dorothy and, and Reuben, and they did take us to their, to the next AA meeting. And uh, that was my second time into Al-Anon. But, you know, I didn't want to go to Al-Anon. And, and Reuben said something about, well, let's just go to the AA meeting. And I thought, well, that's okay. I can do that. Well, we got down here, and it was a closed meeting, and, Dot and I had to go in the Al-Anon room. And boy, I didn't want to go back in there with the black eyes and the little girls and all, you know, all this problem and... Uh, we walked back in there, and uh, there were more people there, and they were laughing, and, and uh, the little girls with the black eyes weren't even there, and uh, they were playing a tape from a convention, and then they'd shut that tape off, and they'd discuss it, and, you know, they began to get through through to my head that there's more to this Al-Anon than that, you know, that there might be help there for me. I didn't like everything they said, but, uh, but there was strength there. There was love there, and they hugged me, and they told me that I was glad I was there, and they were glad I was there, and it was, uh, it was okay. And I went away from there thinking, you know, there was some more hope. But, you know, really in the back of my mind what the hope was is that sucker was out in the other room, okay? And UAA's were going to fix him, <laughs> okay? And if you fixed him, I would be okay. I would be okay. I don't know how long I carried that, but I carried that for a long time. I even used to blame Larry. You know, if he'd shape up and quit drinking, I wouldn't eat so much. He hasn't had a drink for 13 years. (laughs) What's that tell you? (laughs) Maybe Jerry needs to look at Jerry, huh? But I didn't like Al-Anon. As I say, I didn't like what people said. I'd go to those meetings and, you know, and again I was going. I wanted three easy lessons and I wanted you to teach me how to shape him up. And if I shaped him up, then we'd just go on and live, thank you. We didn't need you. And we didn't need this program, and and I was holier than thou. I really was, you know, and and if you'd you'd have, have been around me then, I'm sure I was egotistical and cocky, and you know all you got to do is do it, you just get him in there, and you know he was sailing along, and he wasn't drinking, and man, that's all there is to it. And then uh, uh, that sucker slipped. He really did. and I crushed I just crashed and burned, you know, but I'd been there long enough that I knew that I needed to get into the book. So I opened our one day at a time book. And in that One Day at a Time book, there's in there on the slips, it says something like that the, the slip is harder on the alcoholic than it is on, on us, you know? And I bellowed out something like, the hell it is. And I <laughs> threw my book across the kitchen and hit the cupboard, and it still opens, kind of funny, but I still use the same book. But I knew that was right. And in that time, then I knew, well, I needed to get a sponsor. Okay, and boy, that was hard for me to do. Remember, I'm very proud and very egotistical then. But I knew I had to get back in there, and I went in there a little more humble. Humble enough that I asked this lady to sponsor me. And then my first thought was, now, that old gal's going to be on my back. What have I done? You know, didn't, didn't need this sponsor. And uh, this was a real sweet lady, and she's still a sweet lady, and we're friends, but I would call her, and I would be angry, and I, of course, was full of fear, which I didn't know, and I would he's, I'd say, he's done this, or he, whatever, you know. And she'd say, let go and let God. And boy, I would get off the phone, and I would just be livid, positively livid. God who, and let him what? You know, I had no idea what she was talking about. She and I have shared since that uh, the only reason she told me that is because she didn't have anything else to tell me. She didn't know. And I didn't know that, but God, as I understand him, saw fit that she move away for a period of time. And so when she moved away, then, then I asked my next sponsor. And, and the only reason I wanted to sponsor then is because I realized that these steps were the, really the meat of this program and I needed to get into these steps. So I asked my second sponsor if she would sponsor me through the steps. And she kind of looked at me a little bit funny and she said, are you willing to go to any length? And I thought, Whew, you know, I don't know about that and I didn't know and I said oh yeah yeah I was but I've but always in the back I thought well if I don't like her I'll get, get away from her too you know but I'll tell you she's she was a conference approved lady conference approved she got me right into the books and she said the way I sponsor is I study with with my babies once a week and she said if you want to be at my house at such and such a time tomorrow we'll get started well, when we got there, you know, um, we'd read the literature, and I couldn't understand it. And, and when I'd walk in her door, she'd get the box Kleenex and set it on the table because mm-hmm. I cried most of the time I was there. And uh, she'd read to me, and she read to me, and she talked to me, and she, she carried me through this program. She walked me through these steps. You know, and she, the, one of the greatest things she did was she taught me to love the alcoholic. And I'm so thankful for that. She taught me to respect the alcoholics as, as a whole, and I'm so thankful that she did. And she taught me to love the big book and the 12 steps and to know that it's really life and death for me. I am a big book Al-Anon because she put me directly into the big book, and she taught me what alcoholism was all about. So I didn't understand. I didn't understand what was the matter with Larry. You know, if he wanted to, he'd shape up. If he really loved the kids and I, he'd just shape up. And, and I didn't know, just don't drink just don't drink you know it made so much sense and, and I gave him lots of great lecture, lectures too you know got on my soapbox and I really laid it on him we've laughed since said we should put them on tape nobody want them but they were good <laughs> they were really good and bless his heart he would say, stand there and he'd say he knew that I was right at that time you know he knew what I was saying was right but he couldn't not drink just couldn't do it I'm I'll be forever grateful to my sponsor She was very gentle, and she was very loving, and she was very kind. And yet she was tough. She told me the truth. I remember one incident when Larry was still drinking, and gosh, there was a lot of them, but uh, I needed new glasses. And I got to her house, and I had justified, well, if that sucker can drink, I can have new glasses. And I walked into her house, and I Made that statement, I need new glasses And if that sucker can spend that much money on booze I'll just have new glasses And this very gentle lady spun around to me And said, I hope you break (laughs) them Oh, I started crying And I realized what a selfish wretch I was being And and how self-centered And then she hugged me and she said Honey, if you need glasses, you go get them But don't blame it on Larry Don't blame it on Larry So she taught me a bunch about that I had two years in Al-Anon, and and my sponsor was in service. I had two years before Larry chose to do something about his drinking after that slip. And uh, my sponsor was in service, and so she would say, I'm going to Colorado Springs. I'm going over on the Western Slope. And I'd say, fine, and I'd pack my bags, and I'd go with her. And I remember the first big convention or whatever we got to, and there was lots of people, and uh, we've laughed about it since. Every time she'd step back, she'd step on me, you know, because I I'd right square behind her, and I wasn't gonna, uh, she wasn't going to lose me in that bunch of people down there, I'll guarantee you, because cause I was scared. But we'd go to meetings, and uh, one time she said to me at a meeting, she said, uh, Jerry, you want to go out to coffee after meeting? And uh, I said, I'll ask Larry. And she said, I didn't ask Larry, I I asked you. And, you know, she had to do those things for me to see it. and So I agreed, yeah, I would go out, and I went with them, and I drank a cup of tea probably in about three minutes, and I zipped home, and that sucker was drunk. So the next meeting, I went with them again, and I drank two cups of tea, and I zipped home, and that sucker was drunk. And I went out again, and I suppose maybe I drank three cups of tea, and I stayed, and I listened to people talk for a few minutes, and then I rushed home, and that sucker was drunk and i'm a slow learner it took me a while to figure out that if i was there he was drunk and if i wasn't there he was drunk (laughs) and that that has something to do with the first step doesn't it i really (laughs) i really was powerless but i was still trying to help him i had to be there and he'd be passed out he didn't know whether i was there or not so as i grew in the in the program i was able to go out with those people and and visit, and learn from them, and then go home with my sponsor, and maybe we'd study. And Oh, an hour or two later, I'd go home, and that sucker was still drunk. But I had received something. I had done something for me. And it began to soak through when they told me that he may never recover. And I didn't want to hear that. I don't like to share that with people I work with today, but we have to look at that. They may not recover. I said, what are you going to do with your life, Jerry. And that's what I had to look at. What am I going to do with my life? Recovery is slow. You know, it's, it's really slow. Uh, they talk about peeling an onion, and uh, boy, I kept my outer hide on for a long time. I really did. I went, I went to meetings and acted as if I really did. And I read the literature, and I could talk it well, but I was still acting as if. I still went home, and I still hurt. As Larry's disease progressed. Um, in the last part of his drinking uh, was really affecting him physically. Uh, His face was red and swollen. His, His shoulders and chest were dropping off. You could just see him physically fading away in front of you. And it took a lot of growth. I went to a lot of step meetings. I went to a lot of study meetings. And I know that it saved my life. My daughter would come up once in a while. She's a Uh, an avid reader and she'd come up with a novel and have you read this mother and i think you know she was just trying to probably get me back in some kind of balance and i'd say is it approved literature and she'd say no i said i don't have time for it then (laughs) because i read everything i could get my hands on and i read a lot and i studied a lot our uh, one day at a time book on page 30 you know talks about that we repeat these steps until they become a part of us and that's what it's all about we have a, a brand new way of, re- of reacting to life. And, and I didn't know how to react to life. But one day at a time we do this. I don't know when I really turned Larry and the alcohol over to God. But as he told you, you know, when he came home and, and he drove in and our daughter and I were just ready to go out and work horses and, and he drove in and I looked at her and I said, Oh my God, they fired him because he just had just left for work. And uh, we met him at the door, and uh, he told us what he'd done, you know. That he told his foreman he was an alcoholic. He'd come home to dry out. And I had this this beautiful calm come over me. It was just neat. I think always before it would have been, you know, jump right in there, both hands, both feet, you know, get him in the house. My God, don't upset him. He's not going to drink. And This calm came over me, and I said, Larry, I love you, and I'll pray for you. And we went to the barn and we're horses. And we come in, and we cleaned up, and... Uh, she and I left for a meeting. And as we left, I turned to him and I said, Hey, there's, there's uh, orange juice in the freezer and uh, there's honey in the cupboard if you need it. And I went to a meeting. And way down deep someplace there was this little flutter of, Boy, I hope he means it this time. But there was this calm. And I believe right then I had really accepted the first step that I really, truly was powerless over this man. I really, truly was powerless over alcohol. I, I think I knew right then it was up to him. You know, the first step had worked. And as I say, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know when. I know why, but I don't know when it happened. It just happened. Uh, that's been my experience in this program. You know, something will happen. I'll go, hey, this is not the way I'm supposed to react. You know, as I inventoried, um, one of the examples was I inventoried my anger. And then something would happen. And this was because I had dealt my whole life with anger. I was taught to cope with life with anger. My father taught me that well. I learned it well. And so everything that you couldn't handle or you were afraid of you just got madder and heck at it, okay? And this is how you dealt. But after I'd had Alan on for a while, something came up that would have normally made me really mad, and again there was this calm. And you know, you just kinda of feel like looking around, like, My gosh, Jerry, this is where you get mad, what's the matter? And now it's if I get that mad it's kinda, of, Whoa, Jerry, what's the matter? You know, it does become a part of us as we work this thing. I know that God is recovery. I know that God is recovery we didn 't we had embarked upon a journey of, of a spiritual growth at that time, and i wasn 't even aware of that um, there was there was so much anger and there was so much fear and i wasn 't even aware of that fear and Larry got into the program and he really went you know he really got with it and he studied and he worked and uh, I think of the incident when he said that my my sponsor worked with him in the in the books and she had invited me over to study and and she said, ask, tell Larry he's welcome to come. And I told him, and Larry is a gentle person, and he said, well, fine, he'd go. But he shared since. He, what could she tell him, you know, what was in the book? And I think at 2 o'clock in the morning, they were still reading the book. And I quit him. I said, I'm, I went over on the couch and laid down and went to sleep. But she just opened it up for him. And I could really see him grow. And I know that my God knew that I needed a, a head start. And I really thank him that I had two years. Because even at that time, I would think, let's see, how many meetings did he go to? Has he picked a sponsor yet? You know, the old control thing came right back in. And don't leave it alone. It's working. You know, you've got to fix it somehow. But, but even then, you know, I, I still had this, this God-shaped hole. It wasn't, I wasn't okay with me. I wasn't okay with me. The first time, back up just a little bit, but the first time, you know, that, that Larry sobered up for that eight months, you know, all I was doing was riding his sobriety. That's all I was doing. And when he drank, you know, I knew I didn't have anything. I knew I didn't have anything. And this time I had a little bit more, but I, but I knew I had to keep working on it. I knew I had to keep working on me. And the exciting part is I have to continue to work on me. The 12 steps are a design for living. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I didn't know that. See, I never had any kind of a design for living. I didn't know how to live. I just acted and reacted and uh, followed the example of my parents, and they were dysfunctional, you know, as all people are. And I carried those same things over into our kids. But I had no idea that I, that me as a person consisted of mental, physical, and spiritual. I had no idea that I needed balance there. None. I mean, I was just, just existing. It, it blows my mind away that that's how most of the world is. You know, we're so fortunate, so very fortunate to have this program and know that we can find balance in our lives. It's really exciting. My sponsor taught me a lot about uh, the HOW, the how of this program, you know, the honest, the open-minded, and the willing. And I've got to be willing. I've got to be honest with myself first. I was always an honest person, you know, and nickel and dime honest I wouldn't have lied to you or cheat you but I lie to me and cheat me all the time and I and I really need a balance sheet I really need a balance sheet you know I I have a sponsor now who we meet once a week um, my first down on sponsors moved up to Casper and she'll always be my sponsor but I have a sponsor in town now and she and I meet once a week um, just to kind of evaluate and see where we are you know, to get a reality check just where are you and and it's necessary for me you know, the people here, I heard somebody say it earlier, you know, you people loved me till I could love myself. I remember my sponsor saying to me, she was so thankful. She thanked God for me. And it really blew me away. Why would she thank God for me? You know, I was the receiver. She was the giver. And we are close friends. We've always been friends. But I couldn't understand that. I understand it now as I sponsor people. And, you know, when new people come to me, it's kind of like, wow, God, what, what do you have in mind for me now? You know, what is this person bringing me? And they always do. They always bring me something. But I certainly didn't love myself. I didn't know how to love myself. And through her love and through the love of the people in the program, and just the acceptance, you know, they accepted you if you were crying, if you were cussing, if you were happy, if you thought you had it all together, and and you were cocky and egotistical, they love you anyway. And, And boy, that's beautiful. That's just wonderful that they can do that. I did do, at that time, a lot of inventorying and I still do a lot of inventorying. I do a lot of journaling, because I have a lot of committees up here, and they really go. And that's one way that I can stop those committees. I write letters to God all the time. Okay, I pray to God and I write to Him. I just write to Him. Just As though you'd sit down and talk to Him, I just write to Him. I find a great deal of satisfaction in that. A great deal of satisfaction. In the last few years here... Uh, I have inventoried my dad. And uh, my Al Anon sponsor told me well, probably eight years ago that I needed to inventory my dad. And I was in denial about who my dad was and what our relationship was. And I said, no, there's nothing there. I'd inventoried mom and brothers and, you know, all this, but mm, there was nothing there with dad. He was okay. I know now I was in complete denial. And I had him on a pedestal and I finally did write a little inventory and I stuck it in the drawer and we'd, we'd go up to Casper and she'd say Jerry did you uh, ever inventory your dad and I said yeah I did she said you bring it along and I said no it's at home said, I'll, I'll bring it sometime but you know there was nothing there I told her there's nothing there and she'd just smile and say well I'll bring it sometime <laughs> so my sponsor in town you know she proceeded to say Jerry you know I think you need to inventory of your dad I thought well maybe I better do that okay so I wrote a little bit on dad and and uh, I went to her with that inventory and uh, a little more surfaced and uh, some real serious problems surfaced with our daughter. Um, as a very young child and he, him a very old man, he molested her, despondled her, but it really put her, put you know, such a, such a burden on her. And she tried to tell me and I didn't hear it. And all that anger had to come out. It makes the tears want to come now. But all that anger had to come out. I had to deal with that. And I wrote that man a letter, and I told him just exactly what I thought of him. And uh, he's been dead for 13 years. But what a wonderful relief this has been. What a blessing. to lifted that off. To really see that man for who he was. They tell me now that uh, lots of times when a person's that age and they feel like they've been put out to pasture, and physically he was bad, and I guess that can happen because I always thought that that was not possible with my father. Maybe I'm just justifying it, but I got real honest with it. I got real honest with it, and it was great. And I told you earlier I had polio. Well, I had polio 53 years ago, something like that, and and my sponsor said, "Um, you need to inventory that polio. And I said, oh, God. You know, I had that 53 years ago. Nothing you can do about it. It's over. She says, well, I think you ought to inventory it. And, you know, their denial kicks in again. I don't need to inventory it. Next meeting, here walks in a man from Florida, just a visitor going through, obviously very twisted, very crippled. He had polio. And he sat at the meeting, and he told us how he'd inventoried his polio, and he sure as hell didn't need to have polio. And she's kicking me onto the table. <laughs> Are you hearing this, Jerry? Are you hearing this? Uh, so I wrote a little inventory again, just this little, little bit of inventory on the polio. What do you write? You had it, you know? And of course, remember this, this very proud family that I was in, you know, there was no counseling, there was no help after the polio, it's just, it's over now, pull up your bootstraps, and go on. And, and nobody knew that was trauma for me, I didn't know it, until this inventory. So I wrote this little inventory, and uh, the evening I was supposed to take it to her, I went in and laid down, and I went to sleep. Pretty soon Larry came in and he said, Jerry, I thought you were going to your sponsor's. I said, yeah, I am, you know, what time is it? And he said, well, you know, you don't have long. And I kind of mumbled, and he says, are you putting this off? You know, are you looking for an alibi? And I said, well, yeah, maybe I am. And he said, why? And I said, well, I'm afraid she's going to hurt me. And we laughed. And I knew there was nothing in that inventory. And I got over there to her, and I started to talk. And I started to cry, and I think it's the most emotional fifth step I've ever done. And my throat, I felt like I had a hockey puck crossways in my throat. Literally. It hurt. I took a hold of my throat with both hands, you know, and that very wise lady came over and put her arms around me, and she said, cry, honey, that's anger. And I had no idea that I'd lived with that that anger all these years. See, polio had raped me of many things. It really had. My femininity, my self-worth, uh, you know, just my worth as a person, as a woman. I've never been able to wear pretty shoes. My foot's deformed, my legs deformed, but I've never dealt with any of that, never. And it was, it was really moving. I go into these things and share them with you because, you know, I, I don't live with an active alcoholic right now. And I did inventory the alcoholism a lot. And thank God it brought me through it. But, you know, this is a, this is a program that works in every aspect of our life. And I had no idea at that time that those things were there and I know now as I look at those that that affected how I treated Larry that affected how I treated you that affected my usefulness to my God it affected everything about me all that anger all that anger and all that fear and all that denial and there's more I know there's more and it'll surface when it's supposed to and it's neat I'm learning to set boundaries through this program you know I'm able to tell you no when I mean no and yes when I mean yes and that's neat I used to say yes and then go. Damn! I wish I hadn't done that. You know, and then whatever I had to do, it was be- I did it begrudgingly, and I, I try really hard not to do that now. I try really hard to be honest with people, and to be honest with myself. And one thing I've learned, I have a sister-in-law, Larry's sister-in-law. she's a very manipulative lady, and uh, I've always tried to be the nice guy. You know, I have an obsession that if I just tried hard enough, we'd all just be nice, okay? I'd like it to just be that way. I'll be nice to you, you'll be nice to me. And it never works. And so I always felt like a failure. But anyway, she does her little trick of manipulating. And and, uh, so when she'd call, I would often find myself agreeing to something or agreeing to do something for her, and I really didn't want to. So I'm learning now, the minute I hear her voice, I say, Oh, hello, and then I'm going, God help me <laughs> and i start praying while she's talking and i'm able to now say to her and that's other people too you know she's a neat gal but she that's just who she is and i know that i can say let me call you back and i know i can say let me pray about that you know and this program's given me all of this and i never had it larry and i laugh about it sometimes you know where would we be without the program he says he'd be dead and uh, I think probably would have been better had I been, but I'd probably be alive. And I would be a very angry, very bitter lady somewhere. And you know, I really would. There was no, there would be no way out of it. And it was such a blessing, it doesn't have to happen to us. You know, the program really takes commitment. Lots of times it's more commitment than, than I even want to put into it, you know. And it says that we have to give it away to keep it, and I really believe that. And I believe that we can go back to where we were just the blink of an eye, and that scares the heck out of me. That scares the heck out of me. It's such a blessing, you know, it's a wonderful way to live. Uh, and I'm so thankful to be married to an alcoholic. First time I heard a lady say that, and I thought she was nuts. She had rocks in her head. You know, How could anybody be thankful to be married to an alcoholic? But, you know, without alcoholism, I wouldn't be here. Alcoholism brought me to my knees, and that brought me to Al-Anon. And Al-Anon brought me to the God of my understanding, and I'm so grateful for that. We have joined a church uh, through through this program. And there again, my pride and ego, you know, and I went and sat in church, and I knew all those people in church, been there for 100 years, you know, and they knew all about it, and they could tell that I didn't, and so on and so forth. And um, finally began to open up and really look at those people, you know, and I've learned that Christians are they're just... Uh, they're just sinners, you know, and and they just uh, have fire insurance. is all. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and I tell them that every once in a while too. <laughs> when they get a little conceited in church, I tell them, Yeah, you know, I thought you guys had it all together, but I said I know better now. <laughs> uh, we uh, were asked as a family to share at a at a church in a, an evening program one time, and we shared about the alcoholism our daughter and and Larry and I and they asked the question, why can't the church do for the alcoholic what AA can do for them? And I said, do you really want to know? And I said, yeah, yeah, they really want to know. And I said, all right. I said, You're, the church is on. And I said, this alcoholic comes to the church Sunday morning. And I said, he's in the same clothes he's been in for three months. And I said, he's unshaven, and he's drunk, and he's in his own body waste, and he's slurring his words and he's asking for help I said what would you do and of course they all looked at each other and <clears> the <throat> one gentleman kind of cleared his throat and he said well the ushers would ask him to leave <laughs> I said yeah that's why the church can't do for them and I understand that's not their job and and we have a wonderful group of people and and we've learned so much from them and and they've learned much from us and it's been exciting when we joined that church the minister that was there was real precious and he came out and talked to us and and we told him about, or Larry told him about his alcoholism and that we were involved at that time in service work and there would be Sundays that we wouldn't be at church. And he said to us at that time, he says, that's understandable. And he said, you have your own ministry. Now, each of you think about that. We really do. We have our own ministry. And when we walk through these doors, we're dealing with each other's lives. That's a big responsibility and a big commitment. And that was, that was really a shot in the arm. I, I really appreciated him for that. Uh, you know, i like to stand up here and tell you, boy, I really work this pro- program perfectly all the time. And as Larry said earlier, it is an honest program. You know, I do fall short. And, and I do struggle. And there's parts of my life that, that I have a really hard time letting go of. I still fight. I heard a man say on the radio one time that you should be very spiritual in one realm of your life and very agnostic in another. And the light came on. Because, see, I can see over here, and there's Larry and the alcoholism and the dog and the weather and the kids and all of you. And over here, I have a death grip on some of this stuff that I don't want to give to God. That I don't trust him enough to give him right now. But daily, I believe what the big book says, that I I have to continue to watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And it says when these crop up, it doesn't say if. So they're going to. They're going to crop up. And they crop up in my life. And they shut me off from, from the God of my understanding. This thing goes on for a lifetime. You know, spiritual life is like breathing. I did breathe yesterday, but that won't do me any good today. I have to keep up in my spiritual life. It's vital that I do so. We have a way to deal with life now, clear to the end. Um, Larry and I have been through actually more now with, um, with sobriety, more trauma in our lives than we ever had before. And we thought the alcoholism was trauma. You know, Larry's niece the died. I've lost a brother, lost him to cancer, but alcohol was killing him too. It was just, a, it was doing its job. Uh, we've lost both our fathers. Placer thing. For the first time probably in my life, and I don't know how many times I read the big book, and, and I know I read over it because in our Al-Anon book studies in Greeley, we study the AA literature as well as the Al-Anon literature, and I'll be forever thankful about that. I don't know how many times I've read that, you know, and it tells us that our, our real purpose is to fit ourselves, to be of maximum service to God and to our fellow man. And I didn't know that. You know, I didn't have a purpose. It was always the next horse show, the next dance. It was Larry. It was the kids. I didn't have a purpose. Of course, I didn't have a God. I didn't have a God. Uh, it's been a real blessing. I, I appreciate you. I appreciate being here. It's been really neat to, to be able to share. Uh, may God bless and keep all of you. Thanks.